live at Bar Canada inside the D Hotel and Casino. It's Cofield and Company. Three o'clock on your Monday afternoon, Cofield and Company with a company takeover. No Steve Cofield today. Steve will be back shortly, though. John Von Tobel with me, Adam Candy. Get down to Bar Canada at the D. Vegas Golden Knights hockey coming up tonight. Let's talk a little Vegas Golden Knights here in the three. All right, so... It's time for the three, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Now, I want you to know, there will not be a six. This will just be a three. I cannot do multiple threes. This will just be three. But let's get to the three here and start with the Vegas Golden Knights. Talk about what's happening with them. Coming home, taking on the San Jose Sharks later this evening. They come home from a successful California road trip. Frankly, this is the kind of California road trip for work that I'd like to take. They played two games against the LA Kings. They played two games against the Anaheim Ducks. Basically stayed down the LA area for about a week and got to call it a work trip. Um, Not too bad when all you have to do is play against the Kings and the Ducks. Vegas Golden Knights sweep that trip. They go 4-0. They come home to take on a Sharks team that, yeah, is playing a little bit better, but ultimately is not a real playoff contender. And the Golden Knights are doing right now not what good teams do. They're doing what great teams do. They are beating up on the suck. They are absolutely crushing the suck. The bottom of the Honda West division is awful this year. Bar none. Cannot make excuses for them. It is a terrible division below the top four teams. Colorado might be the best team in the NHL. The Vegas Golden Knights are not far off. You've got Minnesota and St. Louis after that. And then you got a whole bunch of nope. Whole bunch of not now, whole bunch of never. Because these teams are struggling. So the Golden Knights are doing exactly what they're supposed to do right now. They are 7-2-1 in their last 10 games. They are 17-7-1 in their last 25. And just about every advanced hockey analytic that we like to use to measure them, they're top three in the NHL. They are doing exactly what they need to do in Corsi 4, in expected goals 4, in high danger chances 4. You want them to do it, they're doing it. They're getting great goaltending. The bottom two lines are starting to perform at the level that I think Pete DeBoer expected for most of the year, but really wasn't getting. The addition of Matthias Janmark and the emergence of Tomasz Nosek seems to have put things in the right place. And you know how much all that means in about a month's time? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because while they're top three, you know who's number one? in all of those metrics, the Colorado Avalanche. The Vegas Golden Knights have a great team. The Colorado Avalanche at the moment have a super team. Despite the fact that they're on a COVID pause right now, despite the fact that they have dealt with goaltending problems through the middle of this season, the Colorado Avalanche are set up to be one of the best teams in, well, I don't want to say hockey history. It's way too strong. Last five years? Last ten? Yeah. That could easily be this Avalanche team. And the Golden Knights are going to see them soon. They've got a two-game series coming up in about a week with Colorado, assuming the schedule is back on, and that's where we're going to find out who the Golden Knights are. But until then, keep beating up on the suck. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. 
Raiders have some history with the next guy on our list. Uh, and, and right now, quite honestly, I'm, I'm glad the Raiders don't have any active history going with Alden Smith because as talented of a player as Alden Smith has been over his career, this is a guy who has just not been able to solve his own personal demons even when it looks like things are starting to go his way. And you know what? Last year, we finally spent a whole season talking about Alden Smith on the field for the Dallas Cowboys. He was outstanding. He performed at the level we hadn't seen since his first two years in the league when he was threatening to put up 40 sacks. Alden Smith was a wrecking ball if you never saw him in his time. And then the personal problems started. Substance abuse. Domestic abuse. Assault. It's a sad story. The Raiders waited and waited and waited to get Alden Smith back on the field after he got into trouble once he put on the silver and black. And it just was never going to happen. And now Alden Smith is back in trouble again after that great season in Dallas. News uh, that we get today out of uh, Louisiana, where Alden Smith is wanted on a battery charge. Second-degree battery apparently occurred around New Orleans Saturday night. Choked a victim unconscious during a confrontation that began in a coffee shop. And uh, apparently because the victim was unconscious, it goes up to second-degree battery. Uh, the Seahawks, who signed him to sort of a make-good, no-guarantee contract, are aware of the situation. So does he get to play in the NFL this year? We have no idea. But this is ultimately a story where I'm not here to bury Alden Smith. We've done enough of that over time. But the man's in his young 30s. It kind of felt like was getting toward that last chance in the NFL. We don't know how this is going to turn out, but you know what? It's, it's, it's sad. It's ultimately very sad when you see someone with a talent of Alden Smith who was on a Hall of Fame kind of trajectory early in his career, unable for whatever reason to get out of his own way. And it's obviously much sadder for the victim, allegedly in this case, it is much sadder for the victim in his domestic violence case. But we as sports fans here on sports radio, where we talk about what goes on both on and off the field, the on the field part, it's sad. It's a hard thing to watch. It's a hard thing to watch just as a human being, seeing someone of the talent of Alden Smith unable to get out of his own way. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens ultimately with this situation. But it certainly sounds like Alden Smith's NFL career is on the ropes once again. Uh, you know, we're talking about how, how people get toward the end of their line, um, their last chances. It's a little early in the baseball season to be talking about anybody's last opportunity, but um, my fellow New Yorkers, can we have a word? Just put your ear up close to the radio. Let's just let's chat for a second because you're overreacting right now. You're... you're you're kind of making a mess of yourself. The New York Yankees have played 15 games this season. They're 5-10. and 10. They're the worst team in the American League. And I've watched most of those 15 games, and the product on the television does not lie. This is not a team playing very good baseball right now. That being said, we've played less than 10% of the season. If you were ready to write off, say the Las Vegas Raiders two games into a 16-game season, or the Golden Knights five games into a 56-game season. That's essentially what New York Yankees fans are doing at 15 games in, saying, you got to blow this thing up. You can't do this anymore. This team is no good. 
They're bums. Yeah, they're, they're not good. They're not good. Uh, Brian Cashman, the general manager, came out today and said, we like the roster we have. It's 15 games we'd like to forget. But yet, some of the beat writers for the Yankees that I follow on Twitter are taking comments just like uh, Joe from the Bronx, who I just gave you a little bit of a sample of there, who's saying, this team's not going anywhere. They're never going to win. Get rid of Aaron Judge. Get rid of Gleyber Torres. We don't need any of them. Just blow the whole thing up, get a high draft pick, start the whole thing over again. Stop it. Stop it. You're embarrassing yourselves. You are embarrassing yourselves talking about this season being over. It's been 15 games. It has been terrible. I have not enjoyed watching every minute of it. i got to be honest with all of you who are Yankee fans out there. Over the weekend, I sat down and I, and I was doing a little bit of work on the computer and I knew the game was on. I had to kind of force myself. I had to like walk over and turn on my free MLB TV package. Thank you, T-Mobile. Uh, but I, it's my free package. I'm not paying for these games. It's not like I spent my hard-earned money. Blah, 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 blah. No. I, I get it for free. And I still had to go talk myself into watching it. But you know what? I'm going to just I'm going to keep turning the games on because I want to believe that a team that was the American League betting favorite at the beginning of this year is probably going to figure it out. So do me a favor, me speaking as as one of you as one of us talking to each other. Calm down. Calm down. Just take it easy because John Von Tobel is going to talk to us here in a couple minutes about we're going to have to talk a little bit about New York and we're going to have to talk about the Knicks and we're going to have to talk about Zion and you know what? I have a feeling he's going to be right. Because the same fans that are talking about the Yankees being done after 15 games are the same ones saying, You know Zion's covered the Mecca, baby! Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at Bar Canada inside the D. Cofield and Company on a Monday afternoon. Let's get after it, New Yorkers. I told you before the break that we needed to have a conversation. Um, I'm hoping that I can work from the theory of when you admit your fault before the other person calls you out, it kind of takes a little bit of the wind out of their sails, right? Like, you know, if, if you screwed up and your wife is about to give you the business, if she is about to tell you about everything that you have ever done wrong because of the one thing that you just did wrong last week. Um, the best thing you can do, own it. Say it up front. Even if you don't want to, you know, take 100% of the blame, taking some kind of the blame, in my experience, many, many years of marriage, it, it helps. It, it's it's going to go somewhere for you. Um, my fellow New Yorkers, you keep... Uh, you keep hoping for the best, and you keep hoping for the best based on an old, old, outdated, it ain't going to happen idea. Um, you keep thinking that Madison Square Garden, a, a giant building in Manhattan, is going to be reason enough for players to want to come be part of the circus that is the New York Knicks. It's an arena. I know LeBron talks about how much he loves to play there. I know Kobe said it's one of the greatest places he'd ever set foot. I know. I know. I've been there too. Um, it's an arena in a city. 
great city, but nobody comes to play basketball there because of it. And so when you hear Zion Williamson, and you hear Zion Williamson talking as the Pelicans played the Knicks this week, and you hear Zion Williamson saying nice things about Madison Square Garden, I want you to do what any good anger counselor would tell you to do. Count to 10 before you say anything. Just listen to what Zion had to say here. Uh, I'm glad you asked that, actually. Uh, I mean, New York is the mecca of basketball. Uh, I love I love playing. I love playing here. Uh, when I played here in college, and this is my first time playing here in the pros, and I mean, this this atmosphere, you know, whether they're cheering for you, whether they're booing for you, uh, it's amazing. Uh, uh, honestly, I think outside of New Orleans, obviously, uh, I think this might be my favorite place to play outside of New Orleans. I can't even lie to you. I can't lie to you. Ten, nine. Okay, just take the breaths with me. Eight, seven, six. <sighs> okay, let it pass. Because he did not say he's coming to play for the New York Knicks. Okay, just let it go. Let it go. Let it no. I listen, I hear you. I hear you trying to talk yourself into it right now. I hear you talking yourself into the man saying it's his favorite place to play outside New Orleans. I hear it. I get it. I was heartbroken when that draft lottery came around and we didn't get Zion. I thought it was our chance, man. I thought, you know, after twenty, twenty five years of Dolan putting us down into the dumps. This is our chance, right? I remember when LeBron and the decision came around. I was a substitute teacher. I was sitting in a classroom, like, trying to hide from the kids on decision day, refreshing ESPN.com over and over and over again. It's LeBron coming to New York. LeBron, LeBron's going to come. No. No, he was never even really serious about it. So please, don't get yourself all fired up when you hear Zion saying things about how... He loves playing New York because you know where he, what he also said outside of uh, outside New Orleans. So take it all with a grain of salt, even when you think that this Woj bomb is something that might give you a little bit of a glimmer of light. On saying this is his favorite place to play. I think it's something to watch down the road, Greeny. I I think if you followed Zion Williamson closely. Uh, he doesn't just talk to talk, and he's pretty particular in what he says and when he says it. Uh, he's been very consistent like that, even back to Duke, but in the NBA. And so, listen, he's a long way away from free agency. He's only in his second year in the NBA. But uh, I think with the way that the Knicks have been reju- rejuvenated, uh, the success you're seeing them have here in the short term anyway um, I don't think it was completely by accident. Woge. Woge. Don't, 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 do not do this to me. Don't do this to me. John. John. Woge is trying to drop bombs, and I'm trying to be reasonable. I have spent the last 10 minutes talking to New Yorkers, telling them, calm the F down. Because at Madison Square Garden, it's just a building. Nobody comes to New York because a building is cool. Correct. I mean, the Empire State Building. They do come to. It's also located above. It's also located above a subway, but it's fine. Penn Station. It's a wonderful place, except that it's terrible. And so, um, but then Woj says things like that, and and I feel like, I feel like she might come back. John, she left me. 
like 20 years ago, but I, I feel like she might come back. No, nothing's happening here. This is ridiculous. Aww. This is absolutely ludicrous. Look, Zion Williamson's a young kid, uh, obviously, right? The grandeur, I, I guess, grandeur of playing at Madison Square Garden, which I have never understood, uh, gets to him to a certain extent. This does not mean that he's going to be a New York Nick. And I have heard a lot of, well, the Knicks are resurgent. You never know. Like, he's, he's not going to be a free agent for like two years potentially. And he's going to get signed to a contract. He's going to make a lot of money. He's not going to New York. And play this back in a couple of years when he ultimately goes to New York and leads them to an NBA Finals. But I, we do this all the time. I'm sorry, Adam, but I think the league is kind of walked by the New York Knicks, right? It's 2021. You don't have to live in a big city anymore to make money, right? You can be Giannis Antetokounmpo, be a star, and live in Milwaukee and play for the Milwaukee Bucks. You don't need to go to New York anymore. It's not happening. R.J. Barrett loves it there. R.J. Barrett's young good. Stop. He's going to want to play with R.J. I'm not going to lie. I get irritated when this happens. And, you know, Again, kind of going back to what we were talking about in the first hour where it's like media, you know what I mean? I actually kind of get the whole, they're against us when it comes to this kind of a topic, right? Like Pelicans fans sitting back and going like, wait a minute. Like, why are we having this conversation? It's his second year with our team. Can we get through the first contract without trying to put him in a different uniform? I actually kind of get that sentiment now when I watch this happen. Now... Part of it is Zion Williamson's fault because he got extremely giddy to answer that question after a loss, nonetheless. By the way, a loss that they blew, where they were up by three, where they should have fouled, and Lonzo Ball decided to, for some reason, defend the paint up three and leave the best three-point shooter alone in the corner. But regardless, it was a really weird clip from Zion to get that happy. Like, I don't think I've ever been that happy. I have a child. Ever? Yeah, yeah, I have a child. I watched him get born. The first time I spoke to my child, Adam, the first words when he was out of my wife's womb, he opened his eyes at me. And I still haven't felt as much joy as Zion Williamson did when he was asked about Madison Square Garden. And I, didn't you tell me Diego's first words were the Mecca? <laughs> yes. Is that, is that, that's accurate information, right? Yes, but he I, followed it, it up. But he actually, I didn't hear his first two words, which was actually three. No, four. New York is not. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You, no. you're killing Von Tobel. You're killing me. Look, we we had a we had a very heart to heart New York conversation between me and, and and the Yankees fans and the Knicks fans just a few minutes ago, and and we I, I told them they're embarrassing themselves right now. I told them they're embarrassing themselves because they're doing what I did back when LeBron had made the decision. I was just refresh, refresh, refresh. Come on, refresh. refresh yeah, but did you refresh. do the did you do the New York thing where you're you're subtly begging for somebody to come play in your city, but you're doing it under the the shadow of challenging them? Like, LeBron, you want to prove you're the king? You You'll know you can't you handle this place. Right. You'll know you want to come here. You can't do it. Yeah. You can't do it. This is for the tough guys. It's for the tough guys. You're soft. That's why you go into South Beach and winning right. championships. Sorry, I, I forgot to add the last part and winning yeah. championships. Um, in South Beach. Here's the thing that the New York Knicks fans need to understand, and I'm one of them, sadly. Uh, no one's coming to play for Jim Dolan, whether that building's in New York or in Vancouver. No one is coming to play for that ownership group. Julius Randle didn't sign a two-year deal to come to New York because he had options everywhere. <laughs> right. He was coming off a year nobody believed, and he's gone and taken a step to the next level. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to have to pay for it if they want him to stay there. So when you hear Zion start getting excited because he got to go to F.A.O. Schwartz when he was a kid and he has fond memories of the city. Yo. Come on. 
That's a good callback, F.E.O. Schwartz. Oh man! Oh, I don't, you see, wait, what year did you move here? 1989. Oh, so they had the F.E.O. Schwartz at Caesar's Palace when you were here. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, for for damn sure. Yeah. yeah oh, listen, you you walk in, you see that you see that giant teddy bear, and you see the the, the little uh, keyboard from Big that you yeah. can walk all over and dance on. Like you, you'll sign up for New York twice, three times over. But then then you see Jim Dolan waiting to uh. check you out, and you're like, oh. I, I don't think I can pay for this. I, I, I'm, I'm going to leave. I don't know. I got out of Penn Station, and I walked up those steps, and I was waiting for that, you know, like American moment where I look, I get out onto the city, and I'm like, wow, look at the buildings. and This is New York. I'm here. And then I started to smell things. And then, of course, it was really hot, and I just realized, yeah, I'm okay. It's not all it's cracked up to be. And then I spied. That was the year of LeBron's free agency. I think I've told this story on the air before. And then right across from Penn Station, Adam, there's a sign. And it says, LeBron, you think you're the king? You come to New York and you prove it. I was like, all right. He's never coming, bro. It was never happening in the first place. But yet, that year, that year I had myself completely talked into it. Completely. I knew it was happening. Hey, man. At least you guys have the most improved player of the year in Julius Randle. Just get it home, baby. Cash that ticket for me, and I'll love the New York Knicks forever. Forever, huh? Yep. <laughs> forever. Yeah, like the rest of us who are stuck with it forever. <laughs> All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, let's get back to the NFL draft. George Horry is going to be with us, analyst, pro football focus. And we've got a lot of movement here at the top of the draft. Adam, you and I haven't had a chance to discuss, right, the intrigue of the number three overall pick. I know George has some strong feelings about it as well. Today was Trey Lance's second pro day. What does it all mean? George answers those questions when we come back here on Cove with the Company. Hanging at Bar Canada inside the D. It's Cofield and Company. Yep, that's the spot I'm going to be here until about 8 o'clock. So you want to come on down, hang out. Me being John Von Tobel filling in for Steve Cofield today here on ESPN Las Vegas. Adam Candy alongside. Let's welcome in George Shahori, analyst, pro football focus, host of the PFF Forecast as well. Great podcast tying in gambling and the National Football League all together in a nice, neat little package. George, what's up, buddy? Not too much, man. How are you? Uh, you know what, dude? I'm doing good. Uh, I feel very confident that my boy, Mac Jones, is not going to know number three overall, even though, you know, we can discuss that. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of stuff going on. But I am feeling great. And I, I wanted to start there because I was just looking at one of your tweets right now up at PFF underscore George. Quarterbacks <laughs> are going to go one through four. Book it. Really? First four picks, all quarterbacks, huh? Uh, I just feel like that's the way – things are going. I think um, there's enough excitement about Fields, Lance, and Jones, uh, in particular Fields and Lance, that I I just think the Falcons are going to be sitting there and they're going to be saying to themselves, when's the next time we have a chance to take a guy like Trey Lance? Or, Or maybe they really like Mac Jones. But I don't think that you can be so sure you'll ever have that spot again. Young, first time GM, um, Terry now from the uh, New Orleans Saints, and I, I look back at the Saints and I go, you know, the Saints are not exactly known for trading down, so I think it would take it would take a lot to move them off that. But I, I do think they'll be tempted by it. I think if Fields is there, that's a no-brainer. And then I, I also believe that there will be some teams that go, you know what, when's the next time we have a chance to move up to get a Trey Lance for? And they'll be beating down the Falcons' door. So I think all those things 
are a complement to the fourth overall pick being Trey Lance. I don't think there's many drafts where at four you have three quarterbacks gone and two quarterbacks as good as whoever is left over at four. So I think, I think that's why it'll go uh, four quarterbacks to start. So I, I'm curious, George, like when I look at the draft and the way I think it shakes out, you know, one, two, three, uh, obviously quarterbacks, we think we know that, you know, we can talk about whoever three is going to be. I believe it's Justin Fields. So I kind of thought, you know, to use the cliche, the draft starts with four because of what the Atlanta Falcons want to do. My understanding, like, I'm not sure if there is a market for Atlanta for teams that want to trade up. Like, if it's Lawrence and Wilson and Fields, are there really people who you think would want to trade up for a Mac Jones or a Trey Lance where they could potentially get, like, a Trey Lance at, like, let's say, seven, eight, or nine? Yeah, it is a good it's – it's a really good question because you then look at the Bengals and the Dolphins, right? So, if you – if you assume that the Bengals are not obviously not taking a quarterback, the Dolphins probably aren't either, then those are also trade opportunities with you. I think the tough, the tough bit about that is if you trade up there, the Falcons may still decide to take Trey Lance. Yeah. And then you, then you miss out. So, so that, that would be my thought. I mean, look, the Falcons have to be sitting there with just such a tough decision because I do believe that they could trade down pick up enough pieces to really help them become a title contender in the next couple of years. Like, their offense is that good. Um, and it's – so, man, it, it's tough. But I, I just think that Trey Lance is a special enough athlete. You just don't see him that often. I think some team will want him before the second. George, your colleague Sam Monson likes to call – Kyle Shanahan Rembrandt uh, for what his ability for what he can do with whatever happens to be left on his roster at any given time. I know you're a 49ers fan, and I, I'm curious, as you started to hear the Mac Jones hype train get going, and now we seem to have swung back the other way toward fields and maybe settled down a little bit in the middle, did you have enough faith in Kyle Shanahan that if it ends up being Mac Jones, who, you know, it's been a quite a meteoric rise, at least in perception, since the end of the season – are you willing to just look at that and say, you know what, I think Kyle Shanahan can make this work, or do you think it really is that big a mistake if you pass on Justin Fields? I, I think that's the whole thing. You just hit the nail on the head. The reason Mac Jones is being considered as a potential number three pick is just because Kyle Shanahan is that good. And if it were any other team at three, I just don't think you'd be hearing Mac Jones because no one else, is going to turn Mac Jones into a top maybe, maybe seven quarterback. And I think that's kind of his ceiling. Um, it's, it's fine for Mac Jones to be good in Kyle Shanahan's system. I believe he would be very good. But the potential to win a Super Bowl comes with having a top five guy. And so Justin Fields, if it's Zach Wilson, um, those guys have a higher ceiling in Kyle Shanahan's offense. Because Kyle Shanahan's offense is not only created for slower of foot accurate quarterbacks. That's just what he's had to work with, okay? He was very, very good. That Washington football team um, offense with the rookie RG3 was really, really freaking good. Um, and what he could do with a guy like Fields, who I should add, is just as accurate as any quarterback. Like, Mac Jones has a higher completion percentage and slightly better accuracy numbers because he threw the ball almost two yards shorter per attempt. But Justin Fields was lethal throwing the football. So that combination of accuracy and speed, I think Kyle Shanahan could create one of the most dynamic offenses we've ever seen with that type of athlete at quarterback. 
Yeah, I mean, it, the, it just is exciting to think about the possibilities of putting an athlete like that with Kyle Shanahan. Uh, you know, George, when we talked uh, about a month ago, we were talking about total number of quarterbacks to be drafted in the first round. And back then, it was still pretty common at four and a half, even though uh, you had to pay some, some fairly large juice on it. Now we're up to five and a half, and you could even still play, you know, over five and a half at about uh, four to one if you want to. Do you think outside of those top five quarterbacks that a Kyle Trask, that a Kellen Mond, that one of these other quarterbacks sneaks into some portion of the first round? Maybe, maybe. And I, I would be tempted. I would be tempted to go four to one. And the reason for that is that I just don't think there are a ton of great defensive players in this draft. So you combine the fact that there aren't a ton of great defensive players, the tackle class, while good, is much more deep than it is star-studded as it was last year. And we know that the NFL doesn't value wide receivers in the first round the way that you know PFF does, where we really value wide receivers, and we would probably pick one to two more than the NFL probably will. Um, and so I think a team, let me give you a team, an example. The Steelers may be sitting there and going, you know what? I know we've talked about drafting running back, but we'll wait till the second round. We will, we will let discretion be the better part of valor. We'll wait till the second round. And maybe they like a Kyle Trasker at Kellen Mond. Um, that, that would be the, the way that I think it could happen. Um, and at 4-1, to one, I, think that, I think I would take that. I think I would take it. George Horry with us again, pro football focus analyst. PFF Forecast uh, is the podcast as well. All right, so, George, we, we spent a lot of time on these quarterbacks, but uh, last time I checked, there are other players that could be selected in this <laughs> NFL draft. Uh, so, you know, I'm curious. One of the areas of the draft that I'm really fascinated by is the 6-7-8 range because you could get, I think, potentially – a run of these wide receivers, right? Because Cincinnati Bengals are in the running for Jamar Chase. That could start something. But am I wrong in thinking that those teams, when we're talking about Miami, uh, Detroit, Carolina, that that's where we start to see these offensive linemen go as well? Like, I think both Slater and Sewell could be gone by the time we get to number nine with Denver. Am I wrong in thinking that? No, I, I would be very surprised if um, – so I, I just – to me, the Bengals seem to be swinging towards, towards the tackle. Um, and so, you know, so you say Sewell's the favorite there to go to the Bengals, and then I just think Carolina is zeroed in on Slater. That, to me, feels like the most perfect match almost after you, you know, get past kind of the, the top three or four. Um, if, if one of them falls, then I think Dallas is in an interesting position because Dallas, we've always thought of their offensive line as being – you know, the, the linchpin of their offense, and it has been for a while, but they were not nearly as solid last year as they've been in the past. Tyron Smith is getting older. Um, Zach Martin, obviously, getting older. I just think there's a lot of value to have them getting, uh, you know, replenishing their, their offensive line. So that would be interesting. I don't think any of those guys, for that reason, are falling out of the top 10. You can even make a case that, um, that Denver, the guys that they like at quarterback are gone, would take a Slater or a Sewell if they fall. Um, but after those two guys, I do think it, like there's a pretty big gap between them and the next um, next guy. I think Derek Shaw is more of a 20 um, in terms of where he'll fall. So when you – because we've seen also a little bit of an adjustment, right? Um, Panay Sewell for a really long time, George, as you know, you keep track of the betting markets. About a $10 favorite, minus 1000 
uh, to go as the first offensive lineman. In some spots, we've seen that cut in half. Is there anything behind some of the traction that Slater could be the first guy to go? I think there is. I, I was talking to Eric about this on our podcast. He was like, I think he even bought some um, some 10A school at the top of the market because he thought it was such a lock. And I definitely think there there is a little bit. And I, the reason for that is that measurables are something that the NFL, in terms of tackle, they, they like to use them for these weird walkie cutoffs where people go, oh, you can't be a good tackle if you have arms like, you know, this long or you know, stuff like that. It's just baloney. Go watch Penesu play. I think mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, but I think that could be the reason. And, and Slater is super strong. Here's the thing, though. People are talking about Slater potentially being moved into guard. And I have a hard time seeing a guy whose conversation is like, is he going to play guard or tackle, actually being the guy chosen first. Whereas with Sewell, he's playing tackle. He's ridiculously good. Um, and, and so for that reason, I think it's still, I think it was probably just overpriced. Um, it was like minus, uh, minus a thousand or something like that. Yep. Minus 400, which is what it's at right now, I think is, if that's still steep. Okay. Um, and I think that's fair. You mentioned the potential for Pittsburgh to draft a running back in the first round. And I think it's pretty clear what most, uh, you know, around your offices and probably on this show would say about the idea of doing that, but the prop right now for Najee Harris is sitting at 29 and a half over under. Um, I already have a little bit invested in over, and I need you to talk me out of putting more into over. I need you to talk me into some caution here and tell me that there could be a team that decides to fire on a running back earlier than that. Man, I, look, my gut instinct is always like, you know, if there's something that you feel vehemently against, there's a chance an NFL team is going to want to do it. Um, <laughs> you know, and, but here's the thing. I, I don't think, you know, if you if you were looking at things critically, I think it's very hard to actually definitively say um, Najee Harris is the, is the best running back in this, uh, in this class. And I, I would go so far as to say, if, I mean, our rankings uh, – Mike Renner, who does our draft rankings, our lead draft analyst, best draft follow, in my opinion, out there, um, has changed his rankings considerably to the point where he's finally come around. I'm going to gloat here for a second. Like a month ago, I said I would take Javante Williams before any other running back. And lo and behold, his final running back rankings have Javante Williams at number one. I don't think an NFL team is going to feel super strongly about one of these guys. And so for that reason, I I think – I want to believe that the NFL is not going to overdraft a running back too, too dramatically. That said, 24 at Pittsburgh, you can just feel Najee Harris wearing black and yellow. Um, and unfortunately for him, running behind what is a really terrible uh, run-blocking offensive line, which will be interesting because he had the best offensive line in the country at Alabama, um, and he will not have that if he goes to Pittsburgh. You know, Jordan, I'm glad you said that too because like the whole time I'm evaluating the running back props and the market on it, right? Uh, I just didn't really think that Najee Harris was the best back. Where do you evaluate Travis Etienne? Because like, you know, I kind of dig the comps to an Alvin Kamara, really skilled out of the backfield, a lot of speed. Like I thought Travis Etienne would be the top running back in this class, and therefore I thought Najee Harris would be going over just because I thought Etienne might be the guy for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like I get also Le'Veon Bell type vibes. Am I wrong there? No, I, yeah, I would actually, I would agree with you in the sense that if you were going, which guy gives us Le'Veon Bell the second? 
it's Etienne for sure. Um, and it's nothing really against Najee Harris. Like I think Etienne's a little more slippery. Um, he has a little bit more of that uh, sneaky speed, I guess you want to call it, where like Le'Veon Bell never looked like he was, you know, going full bore, but always seemed to have enough in the tank. Um, I don't think Etienne's, you know, pro day was all that incredible, but um, the speed shows up on the field. So I'm with you. I would go Etienne um, over Harris as well, though I think it's very, very close. I think all three of those guys are super close. I just look at Harris and I think about that offense and how incredibly perfect it is for a running back to just demolish. And not that Clemson wasn't a great offense, but it made Etienne work a little bit harder. Um, And so for that reason, I would go Etienne over Harris, I think, too. And and as a pass catcher, um, you know, 588 receiving yards last year, um, really elusive guy in the open field. I like Etienne slightly more. All right, George, we'll get you out of here on this. Other side of the ball, uh, by all accounts, not the best defensive draft we've seen. I think there was a quote the, what, just a couple hours ago. It's one of the worst offensive tackle classes that we have seen in a long time. That's one evaluator's opinion. Uh, but I want to ask you, Micah Parsons, uh, where he falls on the board, do you think? Because there's obviously some of the off-field rumblings with him. We know about the lawsuit and the uh, suspension when he was in high school. But I also just think, like, when you look at the value of, like, inside-outside linebacker, I just don't know if he goes as high as draft position as 11 and a half. Because of positional value. I would be shocked. And I'm going to fade. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. So here's what I'm waiting for. I am going to fade either through a win total or some sort of futures bet. The team that takes a linebacker high in Micah Parsons. The team that takes a running back high. And potentially the Niners. They decide to take Mac Jones just out of principle. Um, <laughs> but but I'm with you. The value inside at, at linebacker there. I think he actually probably is a better pass rusher than he is anything else. Um, but, you know, you're not, you're not going to put his hand in the dirt the whole time. So I would not, it would not shock me if a team like, let's say the Giants, decided, oh, you know what we need for Daniel Jones to improve him? We need a really hard-hitting linebacker. <laughs> you know, and they end up with Micah Parsons. Um, that, that to me, would be a team that I would then save at, at that point. Um, I think he goes outside the top ten, and I think it's relatively – he clears that relatively easily. I think there's a lot of really good receivers. There's a couple really good corners, um, and then, of course, all the, the quarterbacks that we talked about. So I'm with you there. George, how could you do this to me as, as a Giants fan? I can't believe you would slander yeah. a guy in Dave Gettleman who used two, four, and six to pick a running back, Daniel Jones, and maybe the fourth best offensive tackle out of last year's class. How could you do this? Hey, Andrew like Thomas, give him a, give him another year or two. It takes time. Offensive tackle, All right. uh, at least according to PFF grading, takes the longest to mature into their best self. So just because he wasn't Tristan worse, you know, don't, don't uh, throw it out yet. But I'll, I'll say this. It's very interesting. That 10, 11, 12, all three of those teams in a position, you know, in the NFC East potentially yep. to compete or win within the next couple of years. And, um, you know, there should be some good receivers on the board there for the Giants and the Eagles. It will be interesting. George Horry again, PFF Forecast is the podcast, PFF underscore George on Twitter. Great follow in terms of NFL analysis with a tie into sports gambling as well. George, always good to talk to you, man. Thank you. Hey, anytime, guys. Be well. Yep, you got it. Fits perfectly, too, by the way. George had no idea that we were slandering New York as a city. You know, the 20 minutes before he got with us. So that's it's uh, just chef's kiss. Not only does nobody want to go play for you, Adam, uh, but your football team can't draft well. So 
It's absolutely ridiculous. All right, uh, we'll take our break here. We have plenty left to get to. Second hour. Remember, we have our football frenzy. Uh, Arthur Blank, fascinated by the quarterbacks in this draft class. What does it mean? It's time to Trust Us, presented by Dustin DeHart at Nova Home Loans. Call him today at 577-2600. Yeah, trust us to come on down here too, by the way. Mark Canada is the spot. JBT filling in for Steve Cofield. I'm going to be here till about 8 o'clock tonight. Have a couple drinks, watch some games. Uh, there's We're going to get into the next hour, but there's a, a very good NBA card tonight. A lot of baseball on, hockey. And no better spot to take in the hockey, of course, than Bar Canada. And there's a sports book right here. Circus Sports, not even 20 feet away. You can fire up the app or you just head up to the counter. Regardless, one of the better spots to take in sports action downtown. I was kind of surprised really quickly. This just came across my timeline up on uh, social media, Twitter. Apparently, according to a news release by Major League Baseball, MLB TV registered a record streaming numbered of viewers, most watched period in its history of the app, more than 1.34 billion minutes of live games were watched through the first three weekends. It was the seven most watched days ever recorded on MLB TV that took place this year in 2021. The beginning of the season marked the most watched 18-day period in the 20-season history of MLB TV. Uh, by the way, newsflash to me, it's 2021. I had no idea that MLB TV was a thing in 2001. So that's something to learn there. But it just kind of sticks out to me for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I don't know if any of you have experience with MLB TV, but for us, at least in, out here in Las Vegas, I would love to see a map of where those streaming numbers came from because we are the home market for six bleeping Major League Baseball teams, so we can't watch any of them. All the California teams, Arizona, all like we, we can't. So I would love to see where the record number of these uh, games are. But also say from a UI standpoint, for all those old heads out there, that's user interface. Yeah, pretty technological term there, huh? That's pretty good. Sound young, sound hip. By the way, really quickly, you know what I'm trying to get over in the Von Tobel household that my wife will not? She cooked dinner for me the other day, and I was like, you know what? Those pork chops were bussin' bussin'. And she was not, she was not, she's not feeling it. I guess I was too old. She's like, you can't say that. You're too old. I was like, I'm only 30. But I guess bussin' bussin' is not going to be happening in the Von Tobel household anytime soon. Uh, I digress. What was I talking about? Major League Baseball. Yeah, I, I am really surprised that this has actually happened. It was actually a good week of baseball. The Dodgers-Padres series we're going to get into in a little bit uh, was quite a bit of fun. But I am insanely surprised that Major League Baseball had that again. Again, 1.34 billion minutes of live games watched by baseball fans. Uh, around the country, and I would assume around the world. So we'll see if that's going to be the case. Also, this is trust us, so I'll throw this out there. I guess this is the part where we throw out a bit of advice. Um, I'm going to throw this out. We're going to have more gambling stuff coming up in an hour in our Eye on Sports Gambling. But I feel like you can trust me on this, since we were just talking to George Shahori about this. Rashawn Slater, the offensive tackle out of Northwestern, has been one of the, uh, <clears throat> I would say, hotter names on the board. There are talks that Slater could go ahead of Panay Sewell. And, uh, Adam, I was just talking, we're doing trust us here, that if you're going to trust anything, under 10.5 on Rashawn Slater draft position, you can get it here at circuit like minus 125. Trust us. That's it. 
You'll get zero pushback from me on that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. On on ten and a half. No, I, you just look at you just look at the way this this shakes out and the value that NFL teams put on the offensive tackle position. They, there's no way that it gets past that spot because Sewell is such a lock to go in the top six one way or the other. Then you look at the next few spots. Who is your clear progression here? Mm-hmm. Unless you're saying receivers go bang, 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 and then you're sweating it out maybe around 10. But even then, I still think you're looking at Rashawn Slater fitting in. And you know what? If Rashawn Slater goes under 10 and a half for me, that'll be bussin' bussin'. 